Yeah, I think one thing I, I probably learned tonight watching the game is that I can't just run onto Tad Furlong and tackle him. He might step me. Uh, <laughs> it's like a really mean, mean stepper there. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby here on Joe. We've no Emer tonight, but we have Ron Namahni from Munster and Chris Henry back. How are you, lads? Yeah, great, thanks. Yeah, I'll go for it. Good to have you on. Um, do you know what? Before we get into the rugby stuff and straight into the Ireland-Scotland um, performance and the talking points, I was in... I was in a news agent yesterday and I saw one of the headlines was sport behind closed doors for a year. So it's been a year now where sport has been behind closed doors and it actually kind of popped into my head. And I know I, I finished like just recently, but you guys are not so long finished either. And it kind of popped into my head all the, I don't know, it's great to have the rugby going ahead, but all the other things that are taken away from players at the moment, whether it's guys just starting off in their, in their careers or guys finishing or just your your normal squad member where they don't have that time together outside of training and outside of playing at the weekends. It's literally go train, play play the matches and go home. Like how how important do you think that is? And it must be such a strange time for, for the boys at the moment with that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean I think since I've retired it's the thing I've missed the most is being around your your teammates and your friends and, and um you know, you, yes, you play games with each other and, and you get to trust each other, but you learn so much about people, obviously, off the pitch, going for coffees, going for, you know, the beers after you win or lose. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I think it is a... Obviously, it's a challenge for everyone. Everyone's facing different things, but if you're talking about purely from a rugby perspective, rugby careers are short, um, and it's a completely different dynamic to, to build that team camaraderie and, and, and um, you know, great team atmosphere. It does take a... As we know, it takes a, a you know a couple of pints to get to know each other properly. So um, the time away from the pitch is really important, and, and the players will be will be feeling the challenges of this at the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. I remember we always used to say a good a good team social is, is better than any any week's training. That especially at the start of a season, it kind of you've your new players in, you have your young academy players coming into the senior ranks, and you have a couple of foreign signings coming in. And I suppose it's those early couple of uh, nights out and. As you talked about getting, having coffees together, that, that you really get to kind of bind the squad and get to know everyone. Um, and then I suppose a lot of the younger players are, are missing out, missing out in the crowd and experiencing a full stadium. Um, Joe was doing commentary there for the game in, in Tone Park um, against Scarlets, just gone, and there's there's an eerie silence around the place. And you know, there's a lot of young lads who are making their debuts, and you'd wonder how different their debut might go with with a full crowd there and in front of thirty thousand people or forty thousand people, and. Uh, you know, it's an experience, I suppose, as a young player that that you that you want to get as well. Or even, you know, you um, Billy Holland hitting that milestone the other week, or Craig Casey getting first cap for Ireland. No one being there, and that that's really it's the worst thing about it. They don't have family there, but then even after, to not even have a celebration, it's that you go home to your couch, and it's 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 pretty grim. But it's just crazy to think it's been a year, you know, and how used to it we've gotten. Yeah, and as you've seen in, in the Irish games, he just stand there running out for his 50th appearance, but. <laughs> Kind of running out for the cameras, but not. You know, it would be nice to be able to run out in front of a crowd and in front of some family. But yeah, it's, it's been it's been a pretty strange year. And even for like someone like yourself, who you know, you get the players are coming to the end of their careers and having to retire. You know, um, I only know from from speaking to past friends from the, from the Ulster team, like last year's team end of end of season dinner that you'd usually have. You know, a yeah. big function. 
they had to do it over Zoom. So someone like yourself, I don't know how your end of career finished with, with Leinster, but you know, I'm sure it's not, it wasn't the usual proper, no, no one gets a proper send off, but you do expect to be able to sit down and have a dinner with your teammates and, and give a, you know, a final speech and a, and a rake of pints. How did your send off go? Well, I didn't quite have the blimp gone through the Aviva like Draco anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it, was, uh, it was bizarre to be honest, because you know, 14 years or whatever it was in, in the squad, and we had just lost to Saracens on the Saturday and I wasn't picked for that match so I watched it at home because he didn't bring any extras obviously at that stage and realised that uh, that was my last day in Leinster was, was losing that match because my contract was um, rolling if we got to the final and uh, kind of hit me at home I remember getting upset with my, with my wife and there's no one, mates or anyone around obviously and getting a few texts from people but then on Monday me and Rob Carney went in and... Uh, Leo asked us if we if we wanted to come in because just to do the review, which is obviously going to be grim. You're getting knocked out of the cup. But he said if we wanted to talk, to just say our goodbyes in in front of everyone, staff and players, and uh, yeah, two of us stood up separately and had five five minutes or so to to just talk about what it meant playing for the club and and all the memories and the bonds, etc. And and then after we just walked out of the building and just left and went home and like it's pretty. It was not exactly how I pictured it finishing up. Like I haven't been able to, like you know, catch up with any of the players really since it was such a strange time. But it's the world we live in, and uh, just seeing those younger guys coming in at the moment and, and those those like getting their first caps, whether it's provincial or international, we all know how much it feels to get that and not have share in those moments with family. And it's just it's pretty tough. But um, we'll move on to the the Scotland-Ireland game here quickly and talk about a few things. So obviously a great for Ireland to get back to winning ways. What did you make uh, of the game? Yeah, I mean, look, I think going into the game, I knew it was going to be close. I think, um, I think obviously at one stage, everything everyone was thinking a draw would have been a fair result. Um, you know, Johnny Sexton, as usual, stepping up and, and um, you know, when the moment, moment mattered and, and, uh, Kicked a, a really, really difficult kick and, and a high pressure moment. But I think, um, look, Ireland did had a really, really good game. Um, there were certain aspects where um, you know they won the fifty fifty battles. The aerial contest was a was a massive part of the game. I felt um, you know were some great kick uh, kick chases and contesting in the air, which obviously led to um, one of Ireland's tries. Um, but yeah, I just think like uh, it was a step forward than Italy. It was a big, bigger challenge, obviously. Um, I think on a different day, maybe with Finn Russell going off at 60 minutes, it could have gone a different way. But ultimately, Ireland, you know, they got the job done. They did what they need to. They played the way they needed to to, to beat a, a good Scottish team. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, you know, credit to the team and the performance. And, and they've taken, obviously, a lot of pressure to going away from home to win in Murrayfield, which isn't easy to do. You know, hats off to them. It's, it's uh, great that we're sitting here you know, talking so positive because if, obviously if a draw or a loss would have just put a totally, you know, really, really different spin on, on their Six Nations so far. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, like, the reality is that, you know, there was pressure mounting up a little bit on the coaches and, and you know, the expectation is so high in Ireland at the moment. So for them to get over the line, because people forget that, you know, it is an extremely strong Scottish side, but... To win in that manner in Murrayfield is such a tough place to go. Um, I think those finer margins, like I, I do think the back three, like sorry, particularly Keith Earls and, and Hugo Keenan, like they're outstanding. Like you know all about that pressure game with the way Munster play, play and the way their back three play and how good you were at it as well. 
What did you make of the performances in the back three from the Ireland, Ireland guys? Yeah, I thought it was pretty composed, like one or two little errors and uh, a slip tackle by James Lowe gave, gave Scotland a small bit of hope. But other than that, you know, Earlsy's proven his worth time and time again. He's, he's, every time he gets an opportunity to play, he's outstanding. Um, both for, for Munster and Ireland and rightly deserves a new contract and then I suppose Hugo Keenan has been a new lease of life for the Irish backline um, Joyce filled that void of Rob Kearney really well um, he, he's performed outstanding and I just want to credit himself and uh, I, I think since he's got into the Irish squad he hasn't been he hasn't even been budged um, he's keeping Jordan Larmer who's, who's well established at this stage off the team and you know as we talk about the, the conveyor belt coming through Leinster and there's, there's a there's, there's, there's other players like young Jimmy O'Brien who I, who I was really impressed with that will probably make make his way into that Irish team soon enough and um, from, the, from the game just gone it was a pretty pleasing performance obviously a couple of slip tackles but other than that we'll, we'll take the win Yeah definitely and I think that you know there's definitely Irish guys there you saw Gatland in the crowd there's Irish guys there that stuck their hand up like big time like they really did I think that if it wasn't for probably four or five guys playing for us today, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have beaten them. The crucial turnovers, particularly at ruck time, Chris. You know, every time you play Scotland, break, the breakdown's always a talking point, and I think that was um, definitely something that Ireland um, got the upper hand of today. You know, Scotland were at times you know, they were making inroads, and and um, Ireland's ability to get into the ruck so quickly and make crucial turnovers at crucial times was massive. Um, you know, you, Ian Henderson obviously had that massive moment at the end of the game with a crucial penalty. Um, you know, Tag Burn, you know, I think he came off at 60 minutes and yet he still got man of the match. And, mm. you know, leading into the Six Nations, to be honest, like, you know, obviously Tag with the Scarlets and Munster, you know what the quality has, but going to this next level, international level, you, you did. I, you know, I um, wondered, was he going to be, you know, number six, you want as your enforcer and your team? And I did think, is that actually, is this where Tag should be? Well, he's definitely proved that this is where he should be. He's been outstanding, um, and yeah, he's just getting better and better. And I, he, you know, he was everywhere today. Um, him and Ian Henderson and James Ryan. It's just a, a really good combination. And um, gosh, yeah, the breakdown was something special. You, know, Will Connors. I mean, he for me um, today was probably his best game for, for Ireland. I had a matchup with him and Hamish Watson. Um, there was two absolutely crunching tackles he made on him during the game and I, I, I don't know whenever you guys played like whenever you whenever whenever you went into the match and you knew you saw your opposite number and you knew you got a chance to, to put a hit on him or make a moment to know that you came off and went yeah actually I know I've got the better hand and Hamish Watson had a brilliant game but I think for what we needed what Ireland needed today with from what Will Connors provided he was everywhere the, the tackling um, of, the, of the Scottish forwards the chop tackling of, obviously what he's known for he was he was awesome today. So, um, yeah, those. I mean, the, uh, as I said, Henderson, Byrne, Connors. I thought again, someone who we keep who keeps on being talked about, who just keeps producing such a high level standard of rugby is, is Robbie Henshaw. You know, like what is he like? He doesn't do anything wrong at the moment. His um, kick chasing was brilliant. His you know, his ability to run straight and pass a ball, like simple simple things, but really difficult things. And he's just bringing a seriously high standard of of, of rugby at the moment and. Yeah, I just think, as I said, these players have had a lot of pressure and they've delivered and breakdown had a big, big part of the play, the outcome today. Yeah, Robbie's got to be in. The, Robbie's got to be in the mix, like going into the Lions. You know, I think he went on the last tour, but he, he was just he was more of a tourist and he didn't really play him in, in the Test games. But he's been, you know, in terms of a twelve that's been playing consistently well for twelve months, and now he's doing it. Like I know Ty Byrne is picking up the Man of the Match awards 
and he has been great, but Robbie has been right there behind him in the back line. He has been doing everything so positively. But I think back to that point about Tig and Ian Henderson, I know what you mean about switching him to six, but it feels like at the moment with Tig at six and, and Hendy obviously still in the second row with James, it's almost like we've got five back rows. Because like when, when we're defending there and they might get over the gain line by a yard or two, but they're exposed and their cleaners aren't there quick enough. And then you have CJ Stander latching on, like just incredible poach threat there across the board. And I think that was probably the winning of the game for Ireland, really, our decision-making around it, because we know Scotland's such a tough place to go. Um, and I just think that particularly CJ and, and Tighe, like and Munster have been so good there, but those guys were just so impressive, weren't they? Unbelievably impressive. And I think in that Irish pack, you've, you've just so many ground dogs between Will Connors, Henderson, Tighe Byrne and CJ, and then the like supporter who's so good on the ground as well when he comes off the pitch that you know if, if each of them can get one turnover in a game that's five or six penalties and if, if you look at the Scottish penalty count just 10 plus and at international level if you're, if you're coughing up 10 plus penalties you're, you're, you're going to find it difficult to beat any team so hmm. with those lads in the side and I suppose Henderson and, and, and um, Henderson and James Ryan are such a good mix at, in the second row that you're trying to find a place for Ty Byrne because he's such a his competitor he's such a good player you always want him on your team because he's a great line out option He's incredible. He's probably one of the best sporters in Europe. And, uh, you know, he's he a super... He delivers pizza as well. <laughs> he delivers pizza, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pizza delivery man. We're going to have to tell the story about the pizza delivery one we were talking before he came on because just how impressive Tyg has been. Like, he literally has been such... He's putting his hand up to, to go on the lines. He really is with the way he's played yeah. for Munster in Ireland. But um, he's, certainly, he's certainly come a long way because when he was in the Leinster Academy... For whatever reason, in fairness, he had a fair few injuries, but he was always really in the bibs and he was often in the suit poaching and he was getting, you know, smashed by the first when he was going and trying to poach the ball. And he used to always come out with two or two poaches at a, a, a training session, which was unbelievably frustrating. But um, on a Saturday after a game, he was still in the academy, obviously, and he hadn't really got a chance at the first. And Sean Cronin was having a pizza, or I think he, was, he had played a game on a Saturday and he had ordered a pizza from base or somewhere and um, he's the delivery the um, doorbell goes and Sean opens up the door and Ty Byrne is there with, with the base hat on and his pizza you know and obviously Sean's going you know where, where's Jeremy Beadle this is I'm getting stitched up here and he starts looking at Sean he goes, he goes mate fuck off like what are you doing here and he goes I'm here to deliver your pizza Sean obviously panics takes it off and goes inside doesn't even give him a tip so um <laughs> what a turnaround it's been for Ty Byrne. Here we are talking about him as a, as a Lions player, yeah. and uh, he was previously delivering pizzas. But um, he's um, if if you ever play a match with Ty, um, he'll be in like he's the coolest, calmest character you'll ever meet. Like he's as cool as a breeze. It's nothing really phases him, and everything's kind of not a bother. And before a match, like you'll be getting psyched up and getting everyone being the change room, getting their strapping done and shorts on, and you'll be looking over at Ty, and he's still in his tracksuit, and you'll be like, oh, he get ready now in a minute. And, Genuinely, be like two to three minutes before we're going out into the pitch, and Ty's still fully tracksuit on his phone playing like Angry Birds or something, just like, oh, better get changed now. <laughs> he just rocks into it with his, his demeanour, and then he just turns into a different character then on the pitch. He's, as we've seen today, like he's just a different animal. It's incredible. I always found those characters kind of fascinating. Like, there was always one or two guys that were on, like, they'd have their boots on about to go out, about to huddle up to go out, and they'd be playing Candy Crush. 
you know, and you're going, like, you're, we're about to go out and get our heads kicked in here. What's going on? Yeah. Um, it's funny the different rituals guys have leading, in, le, le, leading into games. But in, in terms of both, um, both teams today, like, obviously, we mentioned Gatland was there. I, I kind of think that the, the Johnny Saxon, Finn Russell debate has been put to bed. You know, it certainly has been put to bed today. And I don't really know if there was a debate for me leading into it. Just with how Johnny managed the game, I think even that moment in the second half where it looked like Scotland were they were they had enough time to get property back into it and they had that penalty inside their half and Russell overkicks it. Like and I know it can happen, but it doesn't happen to Johnny Sexton. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I, it, I, it has happened. It did not happen on the early games with Johnny kicked the ball. Was it Daddy, he did pick the ball then, was it? No, no, Billy did it. I know Billy did it, or we know Billy did it, but I think Johnny, did Johnny not do one before at the end of a first half in one of the matches where... A penalty? Yeah, for down the line, yeah. Went too far. Maybe, France. maybe not. Very rarely. The fact that he missed one, but... Yeah. Did he miss one? Uh-huh. Uh, but, but yes, but, but your point is... But listen, your point is 100% right. Like, Johnny yeah. is by far the coolest, calmest 10 there is around this spot, but... Finn Russell, like you have to give it to him. Oh no, is, like I, you know, creates like I mean, what he did today, um, moments of magic cre- creates around him, doesn't it? So I think if Scotland, like you think if Scotland, if the Scotland lineup didn't completely implode, yeah. you know, would have had more chances to go at, at Ireland. I think that I, I mean, if you had to pick one moment, one thing, yes, Irish breakdown was outstanding, and Ireland definitely deserved it. But if Ireland, if Scotland's lineup were functioned. You've got to say that they, you know, could they have uh, put more shots against Ireland? I don't know what the percentage um, win of the lineup was, but if you're playing international rugby and you're not hitting, you know, 85, 90% of your own lineup ball, then you're going to struggle. And the Irish defence caused yeah. them to make the mistakes. Yes, there was problems with the Scottish throw and and just the, the general functioning. But um, to say that to say it was completely Ireland's dominance I don't think is right I don't think any player playing the pitch they, I think every fo- Irish forward would have seen that usually Scotland have a, a decent line out like Johnny Gray is a like serious operator and he was off kilter today um, mm. by running the line out and, and that had a big part to play in the result I think as well it would be um, naive to say that it didn't Yeah and I think it's I think it's horses for courses sorry with the Johnny Finn Russell debate because I get it like you know Finn Russell does stuff that Johnny doesn't do but again you, if you're going down to play South Africa, in South Africa, yeah, you know, you want to, yeah. you, you, of course you want to have someone like a Finn Russell at a stage of a game. Do you want him starting? To, like, I look at it like that and I go, who's the guy? And I think he is, you know. But again, of course, I think he should be a tourist. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. What do you think? I, I don't know Johnny too well. I only played against him or briefly met him once or twice. You could probably speak uh, better about this for him, but from speaking to the lads who would play with him, um, just what he brings leading up to a game and the week's training and the detail he, he brings into the, into the side, I think, is, stands for itself, you know, and then he, he more than likely produces every time on the pitch, but I think that the standards and the detail he brings during the week to get the team ready and in a position to play high-level rugby is, is, is another key attribute of him. Like so. And, and the, how many big moments, like today, you know, that kick... <laughs> to kick that kick is not an easy kick but for Johnny Sexton it's just kind of expected that he was going to get it didn't he because he's had so many he's experienced he's lived through so many of those massive moments um, so yeah like he's yeah. just so important still I, I actually um, was just driving when I was, was after the game I was just thinking like how sore is he going to be 
Hmm. Tomorrow, you know, being the age he is and the physicality he still brings, yeah. like it's going to take. It must just be so sore after these big test matches at the moment for him. Particularly when you're quite old, because the interviewer actually was actually poking a bit of fun at him afterwards. She's like, "Geez, you got a lot of grey hair there. Hairs there, Johnny." <laughs> He's just after knocking over the winning kick, and she's called him a badger, you know. <laughs> but um, do you know what? It was a great. It was a great game in lots of ways, but probably not for the standard of rugby. And I didn't think the the, the day really um, allowed that. Obviously, it's raining. It's Murrayfield. But I think, you know, Ireland did start that second half brilliantly and I thought they came out of the blocks. But it was probably, it was a little bit disappointing to let the Scots back in towards the end um, in reality. It was, um, you know, and I suppose as a, it's the difference between a player now and from going being playing and, and being results-based to being a spectator like, like we were today, you can't... You you want an entertainment factor as well, and uh, you know I suppose a, a couple of silly errors like a charge down by by Gary Ringrose, a, a header by Stuart Hogg, and uh, you know a, a slip through the hands of James Lowe, and Ireland find themselves in, in a dogfight towards the end of the game. You know, um, and a lot of these international games and a lot of these big games come down to small fine margins, and you know it's it's, it's little compounding errors like that can can cost the team. Yeah, definitely, and I think that. I suppose the most positive thing about that was the way Ireland reacted when they did draw the game because there's only four minutes left, you know, and the guys are going to kick it off. And for, I suppose from that point, it was it was great to see the belief. And, you know, you had young guys coming off the bench making a big input. Dave Cocoyne, Carrie brilliantly, you know, was smashing rooks. Porter, obviously, and then Ryan Baird. But, like, that was a big moment. Yeah, charge down and then, um, or the tackle, the follow-up tackle. I mean, he's an absolute athlete, obviously, and the... It was going to be great to see so much more of him, and then uh, he did really well to actually make that make that tackle. And then instead of trying to fight and stay in there, he rolled so quickly, and it gave Ian Henderson a real good chance to to, to do what he's so good at and and, and you know, uh, attach himself to the to the ball. And, and uh, it was it was really really obviously a big moment of the game. And um, like there's loads of big moments of the game. Um, you know, a big talking point obviously is is the um, you know something that you talked about in one of the other shows about. As a winger in Test match rugby, you know it's so different coming from the provincial to, to Test match, and someone obviously uh, had a tough enough day. You know James Lowe, I guess, um, with that t- tackle. You know he went high whenever he had a real opportunity. Just to well, you guys will obviously talk more than me, but just to chop him down low. Um, but the, you know there is the, the defensive qualities of a, of a Test match rugby. You can't keep making those same mistakes, I guess. And, and maybe other players, if they'd had, if they'd make those er- er- errors, they. Um, you know, maybe not might not get another chance just as quickly. You know, with Joe Smith, for example, if you were if you made a mistake like that, um, you know, you, it was it was all about being honest, and you have to you you would have been brought up in the video review. So for me, I guess um, with my Ulster hat on, I guess is is Jacob Stockdale. Um, you could be someone I think that that could be drafting straight into start next week in England. Um, and we'll talk more about England on the show. But uh, he had a you know a terrific forty minutes against the the, the Dragons at the weekend. Um, you know, with some. Really good counter attacks that you'd expect from Jacob and good runs, but but the thing with Jacob at the moment is he's making some really good defensive reads and, and he looks in, in serious condition and, and that his defensive qualities I think is something that could probably be used in that left wing and obviously then you with a straight swap like that you don't lose the left foot, um you mm. know I've taken it, it's a straight swap for but they're still. What do you think for the for the left winger spot? Because like realistically, like early he's getting picked again, like he played a very good game. Do you think that it, he'll retain? The back three, or would he change it up? Um, I'm not quite sure. I think he will retain it. 
um, just because the lads have, have been playing test level rugby and, and um, Stockdale hasn't, I suppose, over the last number of weeks. But I do agree with you that Stockdale's defence could be could be a good weapon for him. He, he likes to get really high on the outside. And we were chatting briefly for that. So be the one slight criticism I would have at Irish defence is that I found they're a little bit passive. They're willing to mm. give up plenty of yards to the Scots and... You know, I'd like to see him fan out a bit more and I'd like to see the wings and the 13s getting up a little bit higher on the outside mm. and trying to make those reads as, as we've seen with Jacob um, doing it with Ulster. Now, I know Ireland might be uh, looking after line integrity rather than line speed um, and that's kind of the way it looks a little but going forward um, against England, I'd like to see him just get a little bit wider and coming off the line a little bit harder. Yeah, definitely could be a work on and listen, just great for us to get... Um, get the four points points, and get, get the win and move on. Right, let's get Toulon and South African World Cup winner Eben Esabeth on the show. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Well, we'll find out next Saturday, won't we? Uh, we, we feel um, that we've been building. We feel that, you know, parts of our... We, we, we feel that we were a little bit unlucky in the first couple of games, but we're playing against... You know, even though they've had a couple of bad results, you know, the team that was in a World Cup final, the team that won the Grand Slam last year, uh, or Six Nations last year, the team won the Autumn Nations Cup, so they're a top, top team. Um, and we have to prove that we, we can match them and, um, and put in a performance to beat one of the top teams because we haven't, we haven't done it as of yet. Hey, Evan, how are things? And welcome to House of Rugby. How are you? No, I'm good. Uh, everything's good this side. It's been tricky for for us three actually because we are, we are retired, but the gyms are actually closed here, so our dad bods are kind of progressing a little bit quicker than we would have anticipated. And we were wondering, uh, do you have any tips to to keep uh, keep in shape, get 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 guns as big as you somehow? <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys don't look too bad. Uh, but I'll I'll send you I'll send you something. I actually got this. Uh, Program from my one trainer. He was at the Stormers. He's now at Stade Francais. He gave me a, a 15-day challenge uh, with push-ups and pull-ups and all these things. Uh, quite a tough one. So I'll, I'll try and get it over to you guys. Well, we we probably need that. I'd say challenge, challenge accepted, Evan. Hey, I think Fergal Fergal lead the charge. Um, Evan, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I uh, I actually um, phoned a mutual friend of ours, Marcel Kutsia. Um, whenever I heard you were coming on the show and he, um, I hope you don't mind, he told me a, a quite a funny story so you can correct the details uh, after I finish but he was saying how um, you guys used to um, room together on the tours an awful lot, um, obviously very close and um, he mentioned that uh, like a lot of rugby players we like to be organised and tidy and you know, a bit of an OCD and he said that you're very much like that, you like to be organised to have your room clean and tidy uh, and so he said that one evening he uh, was making hot chocolates for you both and you had popped out of the room <laughs> and um, he'd set up the two mugs and he'd got the milk and, and the chocolate cocoa and he'd made the two, the two um, the hot chocolates for you guys but he dropped a bit of milk um, so he just grabbed a white rag, wiped it up and threw it across the room. So a few hours later he's asleep in bed and apparently he, he looks up and there is you standing right over the top of him holding this white rag with muddy, with all obviously muddy stained, going, did you wipe your arse with my white, my favourite white rag that apparently you used, uh, your favourite uh, white cloth to make sure you clean yourself at night? 
and uh, he said you weren't uh, you weren't talking for a couple of days after. So I'm not sure if if you want to tell your side of the story. Is that true? Pretty accurate, or did he just make it up? <laughs> no, some details he left out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously the good man that he is, he made us a hot chocolate. I think it was his turn to to make the hot chocolate. And yeah, anyway, later at night I went for a shower, and I got to my my face cloth, and it was. By the way, my face cloth was like a, I think like a red, red color. And so all the other towels, always in a towel is white. So I don't know how he, how he got confused uh, with that. So got to my, my face cloth and I saw like it's just brown, brown stuff everywhere. And my immediate, I mean, your immediate thought was goes through your head is uh, what did he use it for? <laughs> and yeah, then I just, just went over to, to him. He was, the light was off. He was already sleeping. I just said what oh, probably yeah probably didn't say the nicest words but i asked you what did it do to my cloth and he said no but he he thought it's one of the the hotels cloths and i'm like but all the cloths in hotels are always white i don't know how how did you make that mistake but uh no he's a he's a good man uh i must say i missed him obviously he's been struggling with injury a lot so probably yeah one of my biggest mates at the spring box uh not nice when it's not there uh, always we always room together uh, have some fun stories uh, probably a lot of stories i can't tell on the show no no you can uh, Evan, no. you can we've been, to- we've been told that you can't tell the stories so fire ahead no <laughs> no, no I'll, I'll rather i'll rather leave it out yeah fair enough yeah we i think we can all um we, we all have those stories as well with guys we've roomed with over the years you get close with it's funny funny memories like that but go- going back to your um your kind of background leading into rugby, Eben, and growing up in, in South Africa, what, what stage or age were you at when you kind of looked and maybe up to guys that were playing in South Africa and maybe realised that that was kind of the path that you wanted to take? Yeah, um, so my, my story started obviously at primary school. Uh, I did, did quite all right in primary school. I managed to get a, a bursary to go to, to high school and then Got to the high school and all of a sudden uh, I found my, myself in a team's B team. Uh, I'm going to try and make a long story short. Played on the 14, on the 15, on the 16 B team and the school actually wanted to take my bursary away because I wasn't performing. At that day, so I was still in the back line. And yeah, I told them, okay, give me one more year. And then the next year on the 19th came uh, and yeah, I thought, listen, I've been playing B team. I actually spoke to my one friend. I've been playing B team the last three years see we're playing on the 19th so we're playing with the guys a year older than us or am i going to find myself in the schools on the 19c team so yeah quickly quickly got my head right and moved to lock actually my first year on the 19 and that year had a good year managed to get to the western province uh almost to the last trials got into the elite squad and then the next year um played for western province under under 18 crane week so um no, probably there I decided uh, that that I want to really give give rugby a go. I must say, always got the backing from my family and my brother, and yeah, so it was a it was a good decision. Uh, managed to go to Stellenbosch and of the Western Province in the nineteenth, and from there, uh, yeah, another thing later on, and yeah, everything went well. Yeah, I think it's gone it's gone okay so far anyway. But uh, so you just your rugby peers coming up through that would have maybe like played with you underage and then broke in to um, one of the super teams in South Africa. Who were those guys? Like, and where, where are they now? Are they still playing or your peers? 
Uh, yeah, so we, we were actually a, a couple of guys who came from, um, I remember on the 9th and Western Province team, uh, we had, so Kutsov was, was still under 18 that time, but he was a bit involved with the under 19, Steven Kutsov. Uh, Franz Malerbe was the tight head of the under 19 team. Uh, it was me, and then the other lock is playing for, he's playing at the Lions for Alan van der Slice. We had Sia Kulisi, we had Nazam Kaur, who's playing at the Bulls. Uh, so we had a we had a pretty pretty good team. Um, so yeah, a lot of those guys went on uh, to play play professionally. Uh, obviously, yeah, guys like Sia and, and France, and them I still see them often. We, we still play together. So it's nice to have that group uh, who comes with you a long way, and you can, can have, you have memories from under 18. I remember a guy... Bongim Mutnambi, uh, we played him against him under 19. He played for the Bulls. Uh, quite a tough man. And then, yeah, he, he came to the Stormers and we we managed to win a couple of things together. So, I mean, incredible teammates and, and great friends off the field also. Jacko Taste, was, were you, did you play with Jacko Taste? Taste coming up? With? Jacko Taste. Well, Yakutata. Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm not so good at the <laughs> South African uh, yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I played a, I played a bit with him. Uh, obviously, he was at the Lions. Uh, I think he was still in school when he played for the Lions Super Rugby. And then uh, played a couple of test matches with him, and also at the Stormers for a bit. He's uh, a good man, a good player, uh, good man for the team off the field also. Yeah, because Ronan, Ronan, and Chris, I think. South Africans are, they seem to be more inclined to go to Ulster and particularly Munster, but you would have played with so many South Africans, yeah. I suppose, in your time in, in Munster. How did you find the guys and which guys did you get on with best? And, and I got on very well with Yako and still in touch with him quite a lot. Um, when Rasti came in and coached us in Munster, he, he, he brought Yako in. Um, he brought him in as, as a medical joker for three months because uh, we had an injury to Francis Saeeli. And uh, he ended up signing a two-year contract. He's such, he such a good impact on the club. But I can remember his, his first couple of weeks, yeah, as you said, he's, he's a great man off the pitch as well. And he's a great man on, on, on a night out. And we, I remember he had a, a social down in Cork. And uh, on the way home, um, it was Mike Sherry who was driving the car and I was in the passenger seat. And Yako was in the back seat and he was staring out the window and he was just amazed. He was talking about how beautiful Ireland was. And he was, you now we were all hungover and... Hmm. borderline depressed and Yako was just in amazement and he was looking out and he's looking at the cows and he's like should he should I go out and tackle a cow <laughs> and was, we were like what we, like, we barely know the man he wanted to go out and tackle a cow and we're like uh, and he's like please 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 I want to go out and tackle a cow it's like he wanted to prove himself to us and uh, but he was a, you know I don't know he was a strange character but um, I suppose he, he acted as if it, he, was, he was like a defensive leader for us going forward um, I suppose in all those games he, he was unbelievable he was he was exactly what we needed, a real talisman to squad and like a defensive leader. And uh, he was a great man, yeah, as you said, on and off the pitch. It was a good tackle on the cow? No, we didn't stop, thankfully. No. He probably would have tackled the cow if we let him. Yeah. yeah, like even John de Villiers as well, like he, he had such a big impact in, in Munster. I'm sure all of the guys, you mentioned Marcel there, Chris, but even Ruin Pienaar, like what he did, you would have played with, with Ruin as well. Um, yeah. uh, plenty of times... Um, Eben and, and like ruin what he did for Ulster was. I mean, he just. Do you know? I think all the every staff that comes to the provinces, they there's just a good natural fit. You know, they they um 
their work ethic and, and, and what they bring to the provinces it's just a good fit you know and, and a lot of them you see especially with Ulster uh, I'm not sure if, what you think with Munster but they end up staying for very very long times you know there's very few South Africans that will make the move and then decide you know, once contra- one contract cycles up very few decide to move they want to stay the club wants them to stay and their families you know, are, are you know, they, they, they embrace the, the culture I guess the Irish culture they're very family orientated so um, yeah off the, obviously on the field they add so much but off the field the type of personalities and people they are um, there's very you know I haven't met one South African that hasn't fitted in well um, with their with their move across to, to Ireland so I'm sure it'll be a relationship that con- continues moving forward as well yeah speaking of t- tackling the cow actually as well there's a uh, the producers were putting together some detail on you um, bef- before the show and and there's a few dust-ups that you've had over the years. One good clip of you and Jim Hamilton from Scotland uh, throwing a few punches, I think, over in Edinburgh. And then there's another one. I think it got 4.5 million views on, on YouTube with uh, Lou De Jaeger. What, what exactly happened there and who, who came out on top that time? No, I can't actually remember being in any scuffle uh, <laughs> in my career. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, uh, the one of Lewitt, um yeah, we were playing obviously a big match uh, against the Chiras um, at the time, and I remember I think he he shouldered me off the ball or something like that, and yeah, just things just just got got into a scuffle. And I mean, he's a he's a good man. He's probably one of the, the funniest guys in the team. Uh, yeah, he's he's had a laugh. We both have had had a laugh after that incident. Uh, He's mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, yeah, he's just like I said, a funny man. But yeah, I mean, off the field, all good. I remember the just we were that game, and then we went to Springbok camp to Sunday. Alistair Kutsia was in the coach, and he still made a joke about me and if we all okay now. Um, but yeah, no, he's a he's a good man. I remember Jim Hamilton also, uh, <laughs> good one. Uh, he actually in the line out, and he was he just came to push me in my face. Out of the blue, and I, I snapped a bit, and uh, luckily there was guys who who came in between, and he got a yellow card, and I could could stay on the field. And he played it well. I think you you said that you had a situation. Did you not say you were going to knock oh, uh, knock Evan's head off there one day? In Evan, uh, I don't know if you remember, but in 2012. <laughs> When you played in, in, in Dublin um, against Ireland, I was playing, and um, there was a kickoff, and, and JP Peterson uh, was chasing the kick, and I was putting my highest up to catch the ball and he, he tackled me before the ball even got near my hands and I went absolutely flying and uh, so penalty against JP he got yellow carded but I glanced up um, I was pretty sh- shook at that stage glanced up and all the Irish forwards were like piling in towards you so I looked up and there's you with like it was Donegal Ryan um, big Mike McCarthy was playing uh, Jamie Heaslip and you had I'm pretty sure you must have had about four of them all around you just holding them all and um, I glanced up going oh god am I going to have to jump in here as well and the, our physio came over and said oh no Chris just stay down stay down and milk it and I was like mm-hmm. yeah no problems I'll stay out of this one and <laughs> leave Evan and the boys to it so um, yeah, yeah it was uh, yeah, that, that's also it was a big game yeah. and uh, the other thing to note about that match was um, apparently big Mike McCarthy who has been on the show before his uh, 
one um, his biggest highlight of his rugby career is he he has a video of himself on his phone. He shows to everyone about him putting in a, a emptying you apparently, which I haven't seen, but apparently he shows it to everybody. So I don't know if you remember that when, when the Mike McCarthy maybe yes. putting in a, a cheap shot. It was probably a cheap shot movie. No, I remember the scuffle also. Uh, obviously, actually, there's still there's a, a picture where me and a guy are close and we our faces are like that uh, close to each <laughs> other. So. I think there's a, you can find a picture of that. And then that, that hit from, from Mike, uh, I remember that really well. Uh, I still remember, okay, I got the ball. Uh, I think it was from a 10. And so I was just, it was about by the 22. And I just tried to go hit the line. And he just came came out of the blue, uh, like libertied me from the side. Uh, great tackle, actually, if I ever see him in a bar, actually owe him a beer for that one. Uh, it was a, was a real good hit. Yeah, he was a big hitter. Do you find, though, I think like, we can all vouch for this, that when, you know, at club level and internationally, when you're coming up against certain players, you know, they get highlighted during the week. I'm sure it happens for Toulon and South Africa as well. You know, the big ball carriers are the big kind of, um, um, the big drivers in the team, you know, in terms of energy and all the rest. And, and you would be one of those people, realistically, that teams would look at, you know, whether it's your line-out work or carry, and try and you know lay statements down. Like, do you find that happens a lot in games where, where guys are trying to get shots or get under your skin? Um, yeah, I think there's always. Uh, yeah, I always say like if you try to to target an individual, that um, that's where you might go wrong. I think you must look at a team in uh, just like the whole forwards. Uh, obviously, there's always one or two guys. So I, I never know what the opposition. Who they look at, or who they target. Um, but I'm pretty sure they always, uh, especially at the start of my career, uh, when I was in quite a few scuffles, probably to get under my skin, try and get a, a yellow card or, or penalties or, or yeah or something out of me. Uh, I didn't give away too many yellow cards. Uh, probably lucky the refs liked me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I mean these days if we look up opposition, uh, you obviously. You look at one or two guys and and just give to the team uh, who's a threat. Uh, but I mean, at, in the whole, you just look at the, the whole pack of forwards and, and what they bring and so on. So yeah, it's just uh, there's so much uh, analysts going on these days. You know, you know the position so well. I know. And speak, speaking of analysts, now that Paul, I know Paul O'Connell, you've played against him in 2012 and 2014. You had some some big battles, and he's now an analyst for Ireland. Um, and obviously Ireland's lineup went extremely well defensively against Scotland today. What were the battles like against Paul over the years? You know, he would have been a fair bit older than you. Um, would you have known much about him before you played him? And, and how, did, how did that go? Yeah, obviously knew a lot about him. I mean, I'm, I watched him when I was still, still a youngster. Uh, massive respect for him. I think he was, uh, his battles was probably more against uh, Victor and, and Bucky's and those guys. Uh, I played against him at the end of his career, uh, but yeah, great man. Obviously, had good stories about him off the field, also just about his uh, professionalism and type of guy he is. And yeah, you can see of Ireland how, how well they're doing in the lineup. What did you take from that Irish game? Actually, I think you said you're you're watching the game before we came on. Obviously, with the Lions just around the corner, um, was there any guys that stood out? You know, obviously the likes of James Ryan, who has really broke onto the scene the last number of years. And he's in your position. Uh, he's already a real leader in, in Ireland, and you know, hopefully for him, if he stays fit, realistically, he will be going on the Lions. Um, 
would you be aware of, of the likes of him and, and, and others in the Irish pack? Yeah, I think one thing I, I probably learned tonight watching the game is that I can't just run onto Ted Furlong and tackle him. He might step me. Uh, <laughs> it's like a really mean, mean stepper there. Uh, but no, yeah, obviously uh, for the Lions, they have a great, great lock option. A guy like James Ryan. Um, I mean, Scottish locks, uh, English locks there. So much options. So obviously for, for us uh, as a box, it's a bit more difficult to analyse. Uh, just have to Look at look at the individuals, but I mean, there's some there's some great players. Uh, everyone eating form in the in the Six Nations, and must say it's exciting. Today's game and yesterday's game, uh, France France versus England was two really exciting games to watch. Yeah, they were. Um, speaking of those um, those stories you're on to Mar Marcel about, Chris, you 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 mentioned that um, he, he said that. Something about text messages that were being exchanged. What what's that about? Yeah, but he, another thing that Marcel just mentioned, which is just a wonderful thing about rugby, is is obviously <laughs> um, when you get to play against your your friends from different teams. So whenever you were obviously with the um, Stormers and he's with the Sharks, and you would have leading into a match, he was saying you would have been constantly texting and giving each other you know a bit of crack. But he was mentioning that even like you know right up to the morning of a game, you were still texting each other saying, you know, the first time you come down my channel, <laughs> you're getting absolutely emptied or, you know, a bit of crack back and forth. And he said there was once that he remembered where you had tried to arrange a gentleman's agreement. So you would take it easy on each other. And I said, that must be a blatant lie because there's no way that Marcel could see a they're going to take a gentleman's agreement on, <laughs> on each other. Um, there's just no, no chance that that was ever going to happen. Yeah, no, that's there's no chance of that. I actually remember. I think before one game, uh, look, me and Ima have this thing. We uh, the movie Dumb and Dumber. Uh, that's probably when me and Ima together. That's probably us too. And uh, also with Mr. Bean, um, we also enjoy him quite a lot. So before games, we normally used to send each other clips, like just try and make each other laugh. But also when we get onto the field, I mean, uh, it's quite quite serious. I actually. When we, when we played against each other, I try always try to line myself up uh, against him, and don't don't know why it's my best friend, but you just try and eat him. Maybe that's five percent harder than any other guy. Uh, but no, it was it's great battles, and I mean those times, sharks, sharks as a storm, it was always a always a great game. I must say, would have loved to play him here in Europe, uh, Ulster versus versus Toulon. Uh, don't don't know if we'll be able to get. That opportunity because uh, yeah he's heading back home but uh, yeah great great man and always better to have him on your team than, than play against him because he's I mean he's an unbelievable person and uh, he's a warrior on the field. Eben there was there was two other players you mentioned uh, in a different answer Victor Matfield and Bakis Bota um, obviously two world class players for such a long time is there anything specific that you would have learned from from those two guys um, as you were coming up through the ranks in South Africa? Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, I mean, Victor and Buck is throughout the rugby world. Everyone knows them. Um, I think probably the guy who I, who I learned the most from was uh, Andres Becker uh, because he was he was at the Stormers when, when I was a youngster. So, I mean, I haven't even played for Stormers yet. Uh, came from Varsity Cup uh, into the Western Bronze under 21 mix. And then the following year was, uh, was I was in the Super Rugby team and he told me, like let me just so much of, of line outs, but not only that, like tackling stuff and, and just mental stuff. So I must say, on my career um, as a lock, I think he probably had the, the biggest influence on my career. And yeah, also for me, it was a 
great, great man and uh, unbelievable player. Speaking of influence on a career and, you know, rolling back to 2019, we had Peter Steph de Toy on last week and we were talking about that World Cup win and, you know, what a huge moment in your, your career, surely the biggest so far. But really, it seemed like the coaching ticket that you guys had was definitely a key to that. You know, we had our own Felix Jones who went over, who got brought along with Razi Erasmus. But in terms of Razi Erasmus, um, how have you found him as a motivator? Because he, he seems like the type of coach that does delegate the rest of the coaching to other staff members, but an extremely good talker and, and, and motivator for, for, for his teams. Yeah, look, the, the only reason why I can't delegate is because he has, um, I mean, the best around him, a guy like Jock Nino, but unbelievable in defense. Uh, Felix, I was actually, um, when he came in just before the World Cup, I wasn't so sure. Is it good if a, if a new guy comes in? But I mean, he came in and the guy just doesn't stop working. And like whatever he says, whatever he talks about, he always he always talks sense. Uh, guy like Elliot, um, Matt, everyone was just was just good. And then obviously you're talking about Rossi getting us up for games. I mean, there's yeah, no one that can get you up for a game like Rossi. He was he was really good. Uh, just the way his ways of doing things. Um, and also, like with coaching, also if there's ever something that pops up in his head, or I remember him taking the forwards one day for a, for a mauling session, not on the field, uh, passing each other, but actually go sit to sit in a room and just just talk about stuff and just like the input he gives. He's a he's an unbelievable coach, and yeah, I think like you said just before, you probably saw some of those clips uh, we're talking before game. Uh, I think he really got the guys up for the games. Even uh, one thing I always found at Rassi was that no matter what the situation or a win or a loss or a draw, he, he always found a way of, 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 of uh, presenting to the squad and, and saying the best possible things that can get you motivated or always knew the right things to say at the right time. Um, and uh, again, what you said, Jack, I, I found that Jack was the glue that kind of held it all together. Jack was like Rassi's man on the ground and I suppose... Uh, was that a similar environment what you would have found um, 18 months leading into the World Cup when they joined as a coaching ticket? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jock is, uh, obviously, he can be on the on the side of the pitch also, so you, you probably know him screaming next to the pitch and, and shouting out orders. Uh, but yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, Jock just handled handled everything. Obviously, his main thing was defence. Um, and then Rossi was just... Uh, it was just like this, uh, the puppet master, just doing everything right, uh, get it, getting everyone up for, for when it mattered. Uh, as long as you, you're up for the game, those 80 minutes, you can do whatever you want in a week, but those 80 minutes, if you must perform, then you must do it. So, yeah, I mean, you worked with, you worked with them and, and you know how, I mean, they, they're special coaches. Yeah, and another former uh, coach of ours, uh, as you mentioned there, Alid Walters, the strength and conditioning coach, um, would, would have followed soon after um, the two lads. And what kind of impact would Alid have had with the national side? Yeah, he's a, he's a good man. Um, obviously, takes his job very seriously, uh, but, but when he's not busy doing his job, he's, he's such a good man for the team. Uh, he's always a laugh, obviously. Being of us trying to speak Afrikaans, uh, just this pronunciation of words was was just funny, and I think he he really gets gets the players. Uh, he knows when to 
pushed them into the red and when to when to hold back a bit uh, when to tell the guys listen next week is hard then maybe at the end of the week we can have a couple of beers together uh, i think which is which is important that that balance and he brought that uh, i still speak to him a lot uh, asking for programs and stuff uh, yeah no he's, he's a great man and like like i said he can really push the guys remember one game uh, against uh, i think that Test against New Zealand, uh, 2018. It was the Wednesday training session, and and everyone was a bit jokey, almost in a good vibe. And he just he just lost it in the warm up, going off at us and shouting, "What am I missing? Uh, what's going on?" And I just told him, "You're missing a good vibe." And just everyone just started cracking up. And <laughs> I think he also just had a laugh. But no, he's a he's a really good conditioner. And this Lions tour as well, which you know everyone is so excited about with the way COVID is, has gone and there's been question marks over it and there's probably still question marks about where it might be. And I suppose from you talking to your other South African teammates, what, what, would, be, what would be the feeling on if it didn't actually take, take place in South Africa, even though there'd be no crowds? Yeah, look, uh, I think we, we had the point, our last game was, was in 2019 uh, in the Final against so oh, that point where we just want to put on the green and gold shirt. Um, I told someone someone earlier we don't care if we play in Pakistan or or in India or <laughs> Australia, New Zealand. It, it doesn't really matter uh, yeah. as long as we can put on the green and gold again and, and play for South Africa and try and make the people at home proud. I think I think that's what we want. So obviously there's rumours. I mean we all read the media. There's rumours about Australia. Rumors about the UK, and then obviously, um, best scenario for us will still be in South Africa. But I think everyone just feels all the guys, the coaches. We just want to get back on the pitch. Uh, first of all, uh, just get to get to know each other again. Uh, obviously, there's some new coaching staff who who's in there, guy like new conditioner and, and so on. So we just want to get to uh, know everyone and, and spend some time together, and then obviously make memories on the field, which is probably yeah the most important one. Play the game. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement that the main thing is it just goes ahead now and it doesn't really matter where it is. But I suppose there's a couple of steps for you and, and other players before that happens. And I suppose you got that, um, everyone got notified last week about you got that easy draw against Leinster in the quarterfinal of the Champions Cup. Are you happy with that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> easy draw. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's a good one. Uh, I must say, I think I haven't... Really, um, I got here my first season, and we were we were in the Challenge Cup. And now this this season, I played one game against uh, South Sharks uh, in the Champions Cup, and then obviously Scarlets didn't go away, and the rest of the group stages didn't happen. So, actually excited, uh, measuring up against uh, one of the best teams in Europe uh, against Leinster. So, obviously, lots of Irish players in there. So, it's going to be a great match. Uh, yeah, one one we'll be looking forward to, and. One we're going to have to prepare well for because we know that Leinster uh, will be very well prepared and, and they'll be ready for us. So, yeah, it's up to us to to just bring it and be at our base that day. Yeah, promises to be to be a great game. Um, thanks a million for coming on the show, Evan. It was really, really great to chat to you. But just before we let you go, would you be able to tell us what your what your favourite jersey swap ever was after an international match? Who was it with? Oh, uh, I think there's 
probably in my in my one 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 house in uh up in uh on the west coast i actually have uh when i bought the house i wanted to on the stairs as you go up to the second level i wanted a jerseys or a jersey of each country from the rugby championship so i managed to uh swap with the argentinian lock uh, australian and new zealand so i mean that was quite quite good swaps uh i think a special one for me was uh broadest from from new zealand he he texted me once on uh on instagram and told me he would he would like to swap uh, i think he never he never got, got an opportunity after the game to swap with me and when i ever come to new zealand if i can bring a jersey with and he would like to swap with me so that was that was quite a special swap with, for me then in the world cup final i managed to to swap with with maro um so yeah i'll, I'll put that up in a in a nice frame the two number four jerseys playing in the World Cup final. So I think I've, I've swapped with some, every swap for me is special. Um, I think if I have to point out a couple, that's probably the ones that stand out. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Um, uh, again, we'll, we'll we'll sit down with with James, and obviously um, the, there's um, there's there's others as well that we need to sit down with and, and keep educating them regarding um, uh, what international football is all about. There's the, the, there are guys that are in there that are very young as far as their experience is concerned, but to come up here. Uh, for anyone to come over here, over here and experience a win at Murrayfield is something that they'll be proud of. I'm sure they'll look back on. But as far as um, progressing uh, James's game, I suppose we'll, we'll we'll help him like we'll help everyone else as well. Plenty of other rugby at the weekend, and um, another brilliant game, if not the game of probably the championship so far between England and France, and England just edging it out. And for me. Before we actually get into the nitty-gritty of a few of the scores, like, what did you think of the try that was, that was given by, by Joy Neville? What was your opinion on it um, for England? Well, so first, like, won the game, really. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the first thing is that Joy Neville, I think, um, you know, fair play, like, she's, she's ref for me a few times. I think she's a great ref, and I think, like, she took her time and she made the call, and I think you just have to move on quickly with it. Um, I think that the most disappointing aspect, I think the first thing is that England had penalty advantage. So even if they hadn't have scored, I think they would have had another chance to go at it. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that um, the, the biggest talking point is, is how poor the, the French um, fringe defence was there. I think it was the two reserves, number 19 and 20, were hmm. like Levon and Aldrit in the face before had just emptied one of the English, whoever was picking going from the English player, and then the two reserves were just, when they're folding around, they were so slow, so sluggish, their body position, they were up high, and you're right on your try line. If you're on your try line, it is three point stance, it is you know, putting your head where it shouldn't be to, to go meet them, and if Atoji's gonna pick and go that quickly, you've gotta win the race. So I think that even if England didn't score on that time, and there's a social, there's a picture going around social media where apparently it looks very clearly that he's got it down, but apparently it's his shoulder. Mm. Um, you know, fine margins, you know. And the bottom line is, if they didn't score that time, would they've scored in the next? You know, if would they've tapped and went, or would they've gone and lined out again, had another go? But I think yeah, Jordan but Neville, I think that's not. I think that's not the point, though. You know, I think that the, the referee asks a question and says, you know, so his his question to her was, I don't think it was a try. It is there. It can, is, or, or is there any reason that you can award it? And she she looked at it and she overturned that decision and gave it. And I don't think I don't think there was conclusive enough evidence 
to say it was a try because it like there just wasn't there was no uh, close up and I think it's such a big decision and at the end of the day the angle that it, where it was zoomed in it did look held up and that's fine they had advantage but they still have to kick to the corner they still have to win the ball I think it's and anyway, listen I don't think we were it was a great game of rugby and England were probably deserved winners with the way they played but the French like the when they got going in the first half there it's a pretty beautiful thing to watch like I think they're building something great but the back three was just unbelievable they're incredible yeah um Bristol Land coming back in at full back and with Teddy Tama and, and Pueno coming back from injury you know it's just like it's firepower everywhere mm. Fakatao came back in for this game and we all like he's one of the best centers in the world at the moment and he punches those little holes to allow these lads run into and if you give give him a little bit of space you see Teddy Tama gets a little yard down the wing chip over the top and Dupin's able to finish with ease um you know, they're, they're, they're playing with great flair, great heads-up rugby, and they always play the opportunity that's seen in front of them. They, you know, they'll, they'll, any, any chance they get to break out of their system or their, their attacking platform, they will, and, and they'll attack the opportunity they see in front of them. Yeah, and then, obviously, in the other game, not forgetting Wales and Italy, and, you know, Wales put in a big performance against, you know, a disappointing Italian side, this whole Six Nations, unfortunately, again, but... Who would have thought that Wales now, at this stage, like could be in a position to, to, to win a Grand Slam from probably what we were all thinking at the start? It's uh, you know, Hats off to them for, for putting themselves in this position. Yeah, definitely. Look, Wales, with, with, the, with the star players they have and the experience that, especially the core of their team, you know, their spine, the important position, every position is important, but you know, your hooker, Ken Owens, Fal Toy, um, you know, Dan Bigger, um, Liam, or, uh, Williams or Halfpenny um, sorry that's Liam, Williams a Liam Williams are fullback um, you know real core of that Welsh team or, or experience Alan Wynne Jones if you have those names in your team mm. you can never rule you can't rule a team like the wheels out and then obviously with um, Zamet and Adams the two you know, yeah. things are happening around them you know um, it's an amazing to see like so many young wingers when they come on the scene, like the, the things just happen around those players. Do you just want to get the, the ball to those types of guys as much as possible? Um, so yeah, I think like obviously Italy, so disappointing. Um, you know, it's a given fifty points now, isn't it, at the moment? And you know, you give an honourable mention to you know a few other forwards. Your man um, Negri, I think you know, he just keeps on. You know, the, the, those the Italian forwards they keep on turning up. They keep on knowing that mm. they're going to get on the back foot, but they keep turning up and. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very difficult. You know, for Italian side now, it's just really difficult, isn't it? Like, where do they go? How do they? How do they really improve? But Wales, um, yeah, they just the start of the, the start of the, the championship, um, winning by by luck, which you needed a lot of luck, and they got their luck with with the the red card incidences, and then but they are growing, they are getting better, and next week's going to be you know. Um, to, to win in Paris is obviously tough, but if there's one team that you back at the moment, you know you got to say that they can go and do it. Yeah, now they're firing on all cylinders. It definitely makes for great watching next week. Obviously, from an Irish and English perspective, with that kind of that pivotal match between those two teams, I think it will be a cracker between Wales and France. But um, we're going to move on to um, Munster. Munster played the Scarlets at the weekend as well, and Joey Carberry returned and. And he picked up a man of the match performance in really, really tough um, conditions uh, down in Thoman Park. What, what did you make of that? Do you think that it could be, um, you know, could it be out of the question to think that he could be in the mix leading into the final against Leinster in, in the Pro 14? 
Absolutely not. I think Munster will do everything they can to to ensure he's he's game ready um, going into a final. Um, obviously, for for Munster fans and Irish fans alike, it's a welcome sight to see him back on the pitch um, and back playing well. You know, to to be I know first time to try and come back after a year out of rugby, it's, it's incredibly hard to, to to get your 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 feel and your rhythm back. And, and Joy seems to be slotting back in seamlessly. Um, look, he kicked four from four in like atrocious conditions, really. Um, from the side, a couple from the touchline, um, a nice break for set up Shane Daly's try, and it looks very composed and control the game really well. Um, at the moment, Munster are probably spoiled for choice at 10. Um, mm. JJ Henry's been going so well, Joey back in the scene, young Ben Healy coming through, and then even younger again, young Jack Crowley um, coming through the ranks as well. So, Munster are they're, they're spoiled for choice, and you know, I suppose it's a it's a it's the first time in a long while they have been. Thanks to everybody for watching and listening. A big thank you to our producer, Pat, Paul, Dermot and, and Anthony. This has been House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed.